the secret, all it really is, is just a thing to give me cover to get onto stage. That's about it. Well, how are you all doing this morning? It feels like it has been ages since I've been able to, to, to get up here and yell at you. So, this is, going to be, uh, this is going to be real fun for me. I'm not sure how you guys are going to do it. If you have your Bibles, I, inv- I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're starting in verse 1. Um, we're in the middle of this sermon series called Different. Uh, up until this point, what we've looked at is the fact that Peter, who is the apostle of Christ, has been talking to Christians who are undergoing persecution. The, the Christians um, have sort of spanned out into the world, into the, the Roman Empire. Uh, they, they sort of went out really fast, really far, and now they're undergoing persecution. And so what we're going to be looking at just here in these uh, couple of verses here uh, is one of Peter's sort of uh, uh, building up of Christians. Now in this, we're actually, uh, even though Heidi read through to verse 12, we're not going to go that far today. Um, There is enough in these particular verses that I had to split them up uh, into two different sermons, otherwise we would be here for two hours, and I know Bill has stuff to do. So uh, open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, and this is what God's word says. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, when you're studying uh, any particular book of the Bible, uh, it, my process normally is uh, I, I read through a scripture, through a, a book from start to finish, uh, before I touch any commentaries, before I touch any study notes, I just read through it from start to finish and try and underline. If you're one of those A-type personalities that like to underline in your Bible, you can do it. Some people think it's heretical. It's not. You can underline, you can highlight, whatever you, you do you and you'll be fine. Uh, I like to underline words that are repeated, words that come out often Uh, Because when you're reading scripture, one of the important things to remember is that repeated words are important. If you're reading through any scripture and you see a word coming up over and over and over and over again, it means that the author wants you to pay attention to that particular word. If you're reading through the book of 1 Peter, one of the words that you would come uh, across uh, often is the word called. And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time on this word uh, and the sort of the three meanings that it has in First Peter before moving on to one of my favorite sections in Scripture. So, called. It's an interesting word. It means, in its definition, to be appointed to something. Now, a lot of times we, we look at the word call and we say, oh, he's calling so-and-so on the phone. No, this has nothing to do with the telephone. What this has to do is with a calling or with a purpose. And so looking at this particular word in this particular context, I was able to come up with three calls that we need to... Apart from the fact that I I spelt the word eternal wrong. Listen, when I do my notes, sometimes it's late at night, sometimes there are typos, right? I can't proofread myself, so whatever. So the first type of calling... Uh, that we're going to look at is an eternal call to Christ. This is your salvation. So when we're talking about calling, the first calling that you have as a Christian on your life 
is an eternal call to Christ. What that means is, is you're calling to Christ to be his adopted son or daughter into his kingdom is not something that's going to go away uh, anytime soon. It is an eternal calling. And even when you die, that calling doesn't die with you. In fact, when, when your spirit goes to heaven, that calling continues as an adopted son or daughter to Christ. So the first type of calling for the A-type personality that wants to write it down, Tina, is an eternal call to Christ. And spell it right. Second type of calling is a temporary call to an assignment. And if you're in the Salvation Army, this uh, is going to be something that you might be familiar with, especially if you have any experience with the officer life and the way that our lives work, is that we have a temporary call to an assignment. And while I'm talking in reference to Salvation Army officership, really that can be a temporary call to any assignment for any one of you, even in lay ministry. And so for me as a, as a corps officer, I was appointed temporarily to Bellingham. I don't know how long that appointment's going to last. Ten years? There you go. From, from your lips to the DC's ear. However, it's a, this is a, uh, a temporary assignment. And even if it lasts ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, it's still only temporary. It's not going to be the rest of everything that I could possibly do. And for some of you, you've got the exact same sort of temporary call on your life, that a temporary assignment. And this doesn't have to be specific to ministry. This can also be specific to uh, what you do for a living. Some of you were called into uh, working in a particular place so that you could minister to a certain type of people, even separate from the church, that you are, uh, even when you go out into the secular world, you are representing Christ in such a way that you are uh, on assignment from him to bring Jesus to people. Amen? And so uh, you can look at this and be like, oh, well, that's just talking about the pastor up there yelling and screaming at you. No, this is everyone who is in Christianity has a temporary assignment. And the idea here is that it's temporary. It can change. And what we do as humans is we really, really, really hate change, which is ironic because it's the only thing you can really count on, right? Change is the only thing you can actually count on to continue to happen on a regular basis. But as humans, we fight back against change. And so what can happen is we can make this really comfortable bed. We can lie in that comfortable bed and we don't want to change. I can have all of the greatest plans in the world. Oh, my Saturday, I'm definitely going to go out to the park. I'm going to go out for a jog. I'm going to go out... Uh, into the open air, and then Saturday morning rolls around, you're snuggled up, the heating blanket is still on, and you open one eye, and you look at the clock, and it says 9.30, and you say, I don't really need to go for a jog, do I? I don't really need to go. Who needs outside? Who needs that fresh air and that vitamin D from the sun? No one really needs that. I'll take a pill, it'll be fine. I'll take a vitamin... We'll, we'll call it good. It offsets, right? We can get comfortable in certain situations. And the reality is that God called us as Christians to temporary assignments. And so we need to be open to the calling of God for when those assignments change. Third type of calling. And this is what really the focus of this entire sermon series has been about. It's called different. But we believe that God has called us daily to a different standard of living that the way that we live our lives, act our lives, should be different from those that don't know Jesus. They don't have an excuse. 
They don't know Jesus. They don't know they shouldn't be living like that. But if you know Jesus, you should know uh, that you should live a little bit differently. Now, this being said, Peter, who is writing this particular letter uh, to Christians, knows a little bit about calling, right? Peter the Apostle. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, And someone tell my wife to stop group texting because she's supposed to be looking after the kids. And it's popping up on my screen. Give me one second here, guys. let's, Let's embarrass her a little bit. Guys, I'm texting back. Give me a second. Guys, I'm preaching. Done. Let's see if she says anything. All right. Back to the calling of Peter. What? She intro- it's rude to not text your wife back. Is that not correct, ladies? <laughs> ladies, if you send your husband a text or your significant other a text and he does not text back, what happens to that, that husband? He gets a talking to, right? I'm just, I'm just saying, we went through this in, in, through the book of Ruth. Women, men and women communicate differently. Women need that extra, extra, extra. And if you don't, you get in trouble. So, Luke chapter 5, verses 1. On the occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, and this is talking about Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gethsemane. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, this is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he went down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter was called to Christ. He was called out of a temporary profession into an eternal relationship and into an eternal assignment with Jesus. I often imagine, I give Peter a, a, I give Peter a bad time. I make fun of him a lot. Um, going to be super awkward when I get to heaven, uh, but whatever. Uh, I make fun of him a lot for some of the things that he does in Scripture, you know. Um, Jesus is getting arrested and he, and he, he you know, pulls out a sword and chops a guy's ear off. Um, I, re- I read a commentary that maybe he wasn't aiming for his ear, he was actually aiming for his throat, but he missed. Uh, and I just like that idea that Peter was so stupid he couldn't even cut someone's throat properly. Like, he's five feet away from you, like, sword play, let's do it. Um, I'm just saying, like, and then there are other things that Peter did. Oh, yeah, Jesus, that's you. I'll step out on the water. All right, step out on the water. Like, right? Like, you just imagine Peter sort of, uh, I don't know, he sticks his foot in it a little bit, which I kind of uh, appreciate because I don't always say the, the most appropriate things. For an example, I text my wife during the preaching. 
I don't always do the most appropriate thing. So I can sort of so get together on Peter on a couple of things. But in this particular situation, I'm kind of on Peter's side. If you look at this story, uh, he is a professional fisherman. It's what he does. It's how he feeds his family. It's how he makes his money. It's how he makes his living. It's what he does. He goes out all night. So I'm thinking as soon as the sun goes down, he's out on a boat. He spends all night fishing. And if you've ever pulled an all-nighter, at a job, you know the first thing you want to do when you get back in and you're about to go home to have and go to bed is someone walking up and being like, you know you did that wrong, right? Right? This is what Jesus did. I've been fishing all night. I know what I'm doing. And this weird person comes up to me and says, you know you did that wrong. Now, just, uh, just me personally, when people do that here in the office, I get a little antsy. When I'm doing something and my wife comes into my office and says, hey, did you do this? And I said, yes, I did it this way. She goes, well, ooh, should you have done it that way? Right? It gets a little bit like, well, if you want to do it a different way, why didn't you do it? I'm just saying there are these, these conversations you have in your head, you never verbalize them if you want a happy marriage. Now, Peter is standing there after this entire 12 hours of fishing overnight. He is tired, he's exhausted, he's just finished washing his nets so they're ready to go out the next night. So the last thing he wants to do is get back into the boat, row it back out, and go fishing again. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, why don't you try this one more time? Peter, for whatever reason, says to Jesus, all right, let's try this one more time. And after he lets down his nets and he gets this amazing cast come in, so much so that they had to then call their partner boat over to take some of the loans so their boat wouldn't sink, he falls down on his knees and he says, you are truly the Messiah. I'm not worthy to follow you. Just go away and leave me alone. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter then receives a new calling. Some of you, even though you have embraced that calling to your eternal relationship with Jesus, you're still dwindling and dwelling in your old calling waiting for the new assignment. And Jesus might have given you that new assignment, and some of you are not responding the same way that Peter responded. You were called to Christ for salvation, but you're also called to Christ to do something. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as spiritual house to be holy to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices and acceptable to god through jesus christ for it stands in scripture and this is uh, him quoting from the book of isaiah behold i am laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do stone. And so what we're going to look at right now in our sort of closing time together, we have just a few more minutes, is looking at Christ as cornerstone. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if Daryl knew uh, what I was preaching on, what verse I was preaching on, uh, but he was the one that suggested we sing the song Cornerstone in our worship service and I, I messaged him back and said perfect that's like literally the scripture i'm preaching on um a cornerstone is fascinating thing when you look at ancient architecture 
So in case you were wondering, what they would do is they would clear a worksite, they would do everything you, you would expect to do, like even on a modern worksite, they would level it out as best they can, they would get a tamp, they would tamp everything down so everything was compact, everything was level, and then what they would do is they would bring in a massive stone. This stone was known as the cornerstone, and what they would do is they would square off, this is the exact edge of the building uh, running north, and running west, this is going to be that northwest corner of the building, and wherever they wanted that corner to be, they would plop down this stone, and then they would use plumb lines, they would use squares, they would use all sorts of different mathematical equation things. In case you're wondering, uh, you know that algebra stuff that they teach in school that you, you're like, well, I'm never going to use this again in my life. That's what they use to work out exactly where they need to position this thing, which is a good thing I'm not a builder because I really was bad at algebra. Um, but they plop down this stone, and that is it, the cornerstone or the capstone of the building. Every other part of the building is going to be built off its position and measurement. Every part of the structure is going to line up with that cornerstone. Uh, I found this particular in, uh, information. In ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone placed in the corner of the edifice. The cornerstone was usually one of the largest and most solid and most carefully constructed of any in the edifice. And Jesus himself describes himself uh, as the cornerstone that his church would be built on. So when Jesus was talking and preaching and doing his thing, he said, I am going to be the cornerstone moving forward. I'm going to be the true cornerstone of all true religion moving forward. He said that Christianity, he didn't use that word, but in essence, Christianity was going to be foundational and built around Jesus. And if it's not built around Jesus, then it's not Christianity. Now, this is really important to note. Uh, that if it's not built around what Jesus did, said, and taught, then it's not Christianity. You can get into a lot of trouble when you start uh, either misinterpreting Scripture or adding extra stuff to Scripture because it makes you feel better about yourself. But there are certain things in Scripture that Jesus said, this is the way it is, and yet we as Christians sometimes come in and say, well, what he really meant was... Well, he didn't really mean it that way. A uh, perfect example, and I run into this uh, a lot of the times, the scripture says uh, that Jesus himself said that we need to be equally yoked. That is, if you are a believer of Christ, you need to be in a relationship with someone else who is a believer in Christ. And not just uh, any other believer in Christ, but someone who is actually on the same spiritual level as you. Peter has talked a little bit about here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that there are people who are on spiritual milk that they are infants in the faith. And then later on he'll say, uh, akin to people need to move and mature from that spiritual milk into spiritual food that they can actually chew on. Uh, and so we know that in spirituality, in our, in our religion rather, that there are different levels. Uh, this doesn't denote different levels of significance, but rather different levels of understanding, that not everyone is at the same level as understanding as everyone else. So when you get into a relationship, you need to be equally yoked with someone who is in a similar level with you. That is a command from Christ. But too often we see Christian couples... Um, you, I'm a feminist, I'm not sexist. It's usually the woman who does this. Who says, it doesn't matter what he believes, don't worry, I'll convert him later. Because that's what some ladies do. Am I, am I wrong? 
The man is usually a little more straightforward. I believe what I believe and I'm not going to change. I'll do what I want to do. I'll go where I want to go. I'll see who I want to see, but I'm not going to change. And if you expect me to change, then you're crazy. That's usually the male response. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is the usual way it goes. And I have run into over uh, my lifetime, of my uh, sort of area of ministry, I've ran into so many people 85% of whom are women who say, it doesn't matter, I'll get into a relationship with this guy, it doesn't matter that we don't believe the same thing, I will pull him along and we'll get there. Do you know how many times that has worked? Preach it. Preach it, sister. You know what I'm talking about. And so often what we do, because we, we as, as humans, we thirst after those relationships, we thirst after those connections, and so what we'll do is we'll throw out some of the things that God commands us to do because we want to pursue those connections because we don't want to be alone. For some reason, we think that we're alone, even though, uh, as a Christian, you have the entire body of believers as your family. That as a Christian, you have an adopted father who loves you so much that he literally would die for you. And he did die for you. We put our emphasis on these outside things which we really shouldn't. The book of Isaiah has many references, in fact, to the Messiah to come, and in several places he is referred to as the cornerstone. I mentioned that Isaiah 28 uh, says this, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and water shall not overwhelm the shelter. Uh, in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians says this, that when you are no longer Australian, uh, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All of scripture is saying that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone to what you believe. Jesus Christ is the foundation to everything that we do and say. In the Salvation Army, our first doctrine says that we believe in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and that they were given by inspiration of God and that they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. It's a very wordy way of saying, if it's in the Bible, we believe it. If it's in the Bible, we practice it. If it's not, then we don't believe it and we don't practice it. That's what the foundation of the Salvation Army is. It's built around Doctrine 1. All the other 11 doctrines, the other 10 doctrines, are built on that one foundation. Every other doctrine references that back and is then built on a scripture verse or a scriptural concept. And so the question I have for you today, before we move on, uh, which we're going to move on next week, and we're going to talk about your life and how this interacts and works with you, but I want you to ask yourself the question, is Christ your cornerstone? Is that the foundation that everything about your life is built on? Not just your church participation, but everything in your life. Is it built around Christ? your relationships, your work, the way that you act with people, interact with people, react to people, is it built around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? If it's not, then I invite you to pray 
We're going to close here uh, with prayer. And I'm going to pray, but as, as I'm praying, I would invite you to reflect on that question and just ask yourself, am I built around Christ? Is everything that I do, everything that I say, uh, the way I behave to people, where I put my passion, where I, what I pursue, what I love, is it all built around Christ first? And if it's not, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Ask that the Holy Spirit be with you and guides you to make Christ the true cornerstone for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've given us to come into your presence today. I ask, Lord God, that for each one of us here, we can reflect on our own lives as to what the true cornerstone is. Is it you? Or is it something else that we've made more important than you? I ask, Lord God, that if the answer here is that we've made something more important than you in our lives, that the Holy Spirit convict us of that so that we, through his power, can change and have you as the true cornerstone. We pray these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.